So verse 13 says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? So Joshua is near the promised land. His people had been waiting. They'd been Abraham, five, six hundred years before this time, had been promised that he, he and his family, he and his descendants, would inherit a land flowing with milk and honey that would be theirs for eternity. So these people have been waiting a very, very long time for this promise to occur or to, to come to fruition, to um, be given to them. Joshua is the one who was commissioned by God to lead the people in. And at this point, he's right on the edge, and he sees that there are many obstacles in the way. He's, he's near Jericho. At this point, he's uh, most likely in a close vicinity, and he's probably, since he's the commander of the army of the Israelites, making his plan of attack and deciding what he's going to do and how he's going to go about invading the city because he knows that he has to get past them. So the wall of Jericho, I'm going I'm to explain this to you. Jericho was built, I did a little research, Jericho was built kind of on a hill. And so there was a flat, you know, your flat land, and then there's a hill, and then Jericho's on top of here. At the base of this um, kind of up, steep upgrade, there was a wall. This wall was about 40 feet tall, and at the thinnest point at the top was 6 feet wide. At the top of this hill was another wall that was 30 feet tall. So if you're standing where the Israelites would be standing looking at this wall, it appears to be 70 feet high, and at the thinnest point, 6 feet wide. And it's tightly shut up, as the scripture says, and no one's going in and no one's coming out. So this seems like a great obstacle. And I feel like in the same way, our generation could look around at our society. We could look at our peers. We could look at the political arena. We could look at the educational arena. And we could despair in hopelessness because there seems to be insurmountable objects things that we cannot overcome. Walls, whether it be in the hearts and minds of our family and friends, whether it be um, just in the political realm, you know, laws being passed that we you know, feel like there's no hope, whether it be um, trends in our society, abortion, whatever it is, it seems to be a difficult time. You could, you could potentially despair of hope because of the possible, you know, objects that would stand in your way to what we believe would be, you know, a full-on mass revival. Yet Joshua was not, he might have been scared, but he wasn't intimidated to the point where he didn't want to go. He was approaching the land that God had promised him with faith. Now Joshua had seen these walls 40 years before. He had entered the land with 12 other men to spy it out, and he had come back to Moses with a good report. He and Caleb came back with good reports. The other men who went to spy came back saying, no, we can't do it. Now Joshua, one of the men who had great faith, said, yes, we can do it. Joshua had great faith and believed that God could overcome the obstacles in their way. What we see from this is that God will only commission those with great faith to do the impossible. So we must have faith, and that's the first principle that I want to present to you, to our generation, to you individually tonight, is have 
faith because there is no obstacle that God cannot overcome. There's nothing in your life, there's nothing in the life of another person that God cannot, there's no wall, no stronghold that God cannot tear down. So because of Joshua's immense faith, because he was able to come back in the face of these giants and in the face of the the walls that were staring him down, he was able to come back to Moses with a good report, and God rewarded him for that faith by commissioning him to be the one to enter the promised land. So God will only commission those with faith for the impossible to do the impossible. So, first principle, I would exhort you all to have faith for the impossible because when you do, it brings revival and it will happen. Anything can be overcome by God. The next verse, uh, verse 14, chapter 5, 14. Uh, Joshua just asked the Commander of the army of the Lord, are you for us or for our enemies? The commander of the army of the Lord stated, neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? So Joshua sees this guy, approaches him. This man has a large sword drawn. So obviously Joshua's pretty bold. He just approaches this guy. And he asks him, whose side are you on? And the guy says, Neither. And it's the commander of the army of the Lord. And if, if I was Joshua approaching the commander of the army of the Lord, I would have hoped that the commander would have said, I'm on your side. I'm going to fight for you, and we're going to win this. But the guy says, I'm on neither side. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua falls down, and he worships. And in the past, I'd read that and been, you know, and kind of thought to myself, why, why would he say I'm on neither side? And it occurred to me, that the commander of the army of the Lord had not come to fight Joshua's battle. The commander of the army of the Lord had come to fight God's battle. And it was Joshua's choice to align himself with God's will and fight alongside the commander of the Lord. Abraham Lincoln once said, back in the Civil War days when there were blood was being shed all over our nation, he said, it's not if God is on our side. It matters if we are on God's side. And that's exactly the point I'm trying to make here. We are not fighting for our ministry. We are not fighting for, you know, we are not fighting our own battles. We need to be fighting the Lord's battle. We need to align ourselves with his kingdom purposes, and that is when we will see success. That is when we will see revival break loose when we listen to the heart of God and align ourselves with him. You can be in ministry struggling and striving your hardest to do something that might be a good thing, but if it's not God's will at the time and if it's not his time and place for that thing, you will not succeed. It will not happen. We need to align ourselves with God's will, his time, his timing, and his place for our lives. And that is when the commander of the armies of the Lord and the legions of angels will fight with us, and we will see success happen like that. We will see revival busting out of every door. So just as Joshua was presented with this uh, option to align himself with God's will, um, he chooses to do so. We see that in that he falls down and, and you know, asks, what must I do? And in the same way, we need to bow our hearts to God, just as Joshua did. We need to bow our hearts, and we need to say, what must we do? We must listen to the heart of God, and that is when we will be given the calling on our life. That's when we will be given the blessing to go forth, spread revival, and do his ministry. Let's move on to verse 15. In verse 15, 
The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. Joshua did so. So Joshua is commanded to take off his shoes because he is on holy ground. Now, this is reminiscent of the time when Moses, through, you know, God told Moses through the burning bush to remove his sandals because he was on holy ground. Now, I believe that in the same way that Joshua was in a holy place geographically, we are in a holy place in time. This day and age, this generation has been appointed and anointed for a specific purpose that God has ordained and that is holy. Revival is something holy. Holy is set apart, sanctified by God. Revival is exactly that. And we are called to carry this revival door to door, church to church, and bring unity all over. And just as Joshua was in a holy place and was required to move, remove his shoes, in the same way, there, there's a similar symbolism, um, an act that we must do. In the Bible, shoes are symbolic of the sin that you carry on you because your shoes are the only part of you that comes in contact with the earth as you walk around. The dust of the earth would gather on your sandals, and when you entered a home, you would wash yourself clean. And it was a very symbolic act. It wasn't just because you didn't want to dirty the floors. So when, G- when Joshua was asked to remove his shoes, it was symbolic of him being asked to remove the worldliness and the sin that, you know, and anything, anything about him or on him that could have, you know, hindered God's full potential for his calling. And in the same way that we are in a holy place in time and in location, we need to remove our shoes. We need to shed any worldliness, any sin that might be on us so that we can live and move in the fullness of what God has for us, in the fullness of the calling that we have been called to, in the fullness of um, what God has for our generation. So the third principle is we must realize the holiness and seriousness of our time and place and our calling, and we must remove any of the worldliness that has gotten on us that we um, have partaken in so that we can fully access the immense things that God has for us. So let's move on to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. We're moving along, guys. We're doing good. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one came out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and with its fighting men. So we've already been over the fact that this looked impossible. This looked like a battle that was not able to be won. Yet God promises Joshua, he tells him, See, I have given it into your hands. Joshua was able to walk onto that battlefield confident, fully knowing that he was going to win. He did not have to worry about loss of troops. He did not have to worry about coming away empty-handed or defeated. He knew for a fact that he was going to go in, he was going to take the city, and he was going to win because God had promised him that. God said, I have delivered it into your hands. Not I will deliver it. I have delivered it. He knew that the battle was already won. In the same way, I want to encourage everyone here. We are fighting a winning battle. The war that we fight, the battle that we are a part of, has already been won. We fight for souls. 
the souls of those around us, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, as it says in Ephesians 6. And when Jesus died on the cross, the finished work of the cross, every principality, every sin was washed away. Every principality was defeated. Satan was defeated. Death itself was overcome. We are fighting a winning battle. There's no way we can lose. And I believe a lot of Christians, I hear in the, the Christian Christian news, and I hear pre- preachers and speakers even um, partaking in this behavior, and, and Christians talking all the time, just despairing of hope, just being saddened by the state of the world, which, yeah, there's a lot of sad things going on, but we can change that. And they're not going out and changing it a lot of times. They're sitting around moping about it and despairing of hope because they believe that they're fighting a losing battle. And we need to consult the Word of God And we need to understand and have a heart and mind transformation where we can understand that the battle we are fighting has been won. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. There's no more work for us to do. We just need to abide in his promise and go out and win the war. And I think that when we go out with the confidence that we have won the battle and that things are going to change, it will strengthen our faith and enable us to do so much more and to walk in the fullness of what God has for us. We need to rid ourselves of the hopelessness of, of fighting a losing battle. That belief needs to go. The work of the cross is finished, and now all that's left to do is march as God commands us to march. Now, how did he command Joshua to march? This is what he says. He says in verse 3 to 5, March around the city once with all of the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all of the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. Now Joshua was a military commander. He was not new to this battle scene. He'd fought many battles before, and he'd led the Israelite army into wars. And I think if I were him, I would have looked at this um, God's battle tactic and felt as though this was not the most strategic plan of offense against a 70-foot wall and a huge army. But that just shows how much I would have doubted God, because Joshua believed God. He had faith, as we talked about the first principle, have great faith. He had that great faith, and he obeyed without question, even though it sounded incredibly strange. This is a man who had commanded hundreds of thousands of men in successful battles, and yet he's obeying God's command to use a tactic which does not seem like it will work. So the fifth principle that I want to present to you tonight, so that would enable us to walk in the fullness of what God has for us and for our generation, is that we must listen to the Lord. We must hear his voice and obey his commands, even when it sounds strange, even when it doesn't make sense. Like, if God, you're in a supermarket, and God prompts you to go up and speak to someone and say an encouraging word, or he gives you a a word of knowledge or prophecy for someone and asks you to go tell them, um, go up and do it even if it sounds strange, because you will see fruit. In Bethel, Reading, the pastor, Bill Johnson, 
he uh, teaches his congregation to anywhere they go, supermarket, whether it's, you know, a sporting event, anywhere, to seek out people who are on crutches, to seek people who look sick, and to go up and ask them to pray for them. And you know what? That sounds strange. Yeah, I know. But they're seeing healings right and left everywhere. People are being healed, and revival is busting out. And honestly, God knows what needs to happen. God knows the best way to bring revival. God knows the best way to change hearts and to change minds. So why not listen to him? Why is it so hard for us to walk in the things that he's told us to walk in? Why do we doubt when we've seen throughout this entire book, every page, we've seen his faithfulness? We have a hard time, and at times we are ashamed to do the very things that our Lord and Savior, who we claim to love so much, we are ashamed to do the very things he asks, yet we claim to love him. Revival follows those who simply listen to the Lord's voice and obey. It's not a lot of work. It's just love. If you do this, if you quiet your mind, don't think about the obstacles, don't think about the walls, if you quiet your mind, you listen to his voice, and you simply obey, signs, wonders, miracles, and revival will break out around you, and you will not be able to contain it. Jesus will do amazing things through those who have faith and through those who listen and obey. One sub-point that I just wanted to, to mention, and I figured Angel would appreciate this, is that in this strategy that Jesus offers, that God offers Joshua, it was the worshipers who went out first in front of the Ark of the Covenant, in front of the entire army. He sent the worshipers out first. And in the same way, in this revival stream today, 2011, I see the worship as being such an important part, as going out before the armies. Bethel Reading, the worship is so powerful. And a lot of churches begin to enter this revival stream through accessing some of the worship that's coming out of the places where this revival is being birthed. They hear this worship, they want it, and through that is um, birthed a desire for this new thing that God has in store, this revival stream. And it's amazing. So the walls fell down. Just as God had promised, the battle was won. Every man went up and straight in. And the daunting walls were brought down simply because Joshua had the faith to act. So what does this mean for our generation? What I believe is that our generation, if we will have the great faith in God to act, if we will align ourselves with God's kingdom purposes, if we will realize that we are in a holy time and shed the worldliness that could um, taint, the, taint the fullness of what God has for us, if we can realize that the battle has already been won, that there's no work we must do, but the battle has been won, and if we can just simply listen and obey, I believe that we will see changes all around us. We will see revival breaking forth in our schools. We will see revival breaking forth in our churches. We knew churches need revival, right, in this day and age. We will see revival breaking out everywhere we go, in the supermarkets, in the streets, when we're stopped at traffic lights. Let's do this, guys. Let's, let's, let's enter into this place 
of obedience and faithfulness to God who has been so faithful to us because he desires something big. He desires a change, a radical change all throughout the earth, in every town, in every nation, in every city, in every home. He desires to see amazing things happen, lives changed, lives transformed, people completely flipped around, going towards him with all of their might, with all of their strength, and living for him. That's what he desires for every single person. And he has given it to us to spread that to take it. And his spirit is the thing that changes hearts. But we are the people who are called to introduce his spirit everywhere we go. And it's on us. And we can do it. All we have to do is have faith, listen, obey, go for it. We are a generation that's called to know God. Not just about God, like I believe so many Christians have settled for. Knowing about God. They study this word. It's a good thing to study. But they stop there. That's not our calling. Our calling is not to just learn the Bible and stop there. We are a generation called to know God, to seek the face of God. Joshua met the commander of the army of the Lord face to face and heard with his ear the, Lord, the voice of the Lord speaking to him how to take down this wall. That's our calling. God has made that available to us, and we need to seek it out. I'm going to read us a passage from Psalm 24 that I've read before in this setting, and I keep coming back to it. Because I believe this, this psalm uh, resonates with this ministry and with what we're all about. It says, who may ascend the mount of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Remember, we were in a holy place in time. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Now remember, we were supposed to shed the worldliness. Clean hands and a pure heart. They will receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek them, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. It says that the generation who seeks his face, that's us, we will seek his face. The generation who does that will receive vindication from God their Savior. Vindication can also mean salvation, and Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. We are truly a Joshua generation. I'm going to read some of the promises that God had for Joshua. And if you can just close your eyes and uh, just enter into a moment of um, just kind of meditation on the Lord. These promises are to Joshua, but they are not only to Joshua. They are to anyone who God has placed Joshua's calling on. And I believe, as I've said, that each one of us and our entire generation as a whole has been called to be a Joshua generation, to lead those, to lead his people into a land where there are huge cities, there are 70-foot walls, there are giants, there are armies twice our size, and we are called to go, we are called to slay the giants, tear down the walls, invade the cities, and make this land a place where God is worshipped in every home, in every room. The Bible is read everywhere you go. People cannot stop talking about the Lord, their Savior. God told us he would give us everywhere that we set our foot. I'm going to read us some promises that God gave to Joshua. These are promises to you. These are promises to our generation. If we will but walk how he has called us to walk. 
After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the deserts of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you in all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. God, tonight we come before you as your humble servants. We bow down and ask you, God, what would you have us do? Lord, as individually and as a ministry, we desire to see revival break out, God. We desire to see our campuses changed, transformed. We desire to see our family changed and brought to you. We desire to see our friends seek you with all of their hearts. We desire that everyone we know would encounter your Holy Spirit in a powerful way and never turn back, God. We request every place where we set our foot, God. We want to go into this land which seems intimidating, which seems hopeless. We want to tear down the walls. We want to slay the giants, invade the cities. God, we want you to reign in this place. In Santa Rosa, God, in Sonoma County, in our schools, God, in California, in the United States, in this entire world, God, this is your land. This is a holy land. We declare that, Father God. We pray that tonight, and as we go from this place and enter into this next, next season of our lives in the fall, or whenever, you know, wherever we go, God, that you would instill in our hearts these principles, God. That you would change us and mold us and make us more like you. God, teach us your ways and help us to walk in the fullness of your calling on each of our lives, individually and as a generation. I pray for great faith, Father God, in each person here. I declare a spirit of faith upon our generation, a spirit of great faith over each person here, God. I declare, God, that this generation will align itself with your spirit, God. I pray that each of our hearts, we could, we could check ourselves. And we could align ourselves. We could align our priorities with you. We could understand your heart. We would listen to your voice and follow you where you have called us, God. Lord, I pray that we would understand the holiness and the incredibleness of the time and place in which you have placed us and your calling on that time. That we would be able to shed the worldliness, God, that has tainted our generation, that has tainted the church. The complacency, God. That we'd be able to walk away from that and pursue righteousness with clean hands and a pure heart, Father God. Yes, God. We just, we pray that you would just, just enter this place now as we, we enter into worship. God, that we would listen to your voice, we would obey. And that tonight as we, we come before you in musical worship, God, that you would just be magnified. You would be glorified, Lord. We love you so much. We pray that this would just be a place where you would be enthroned on the praises of your people. I thank you for every person that came here tonight, and I pray that no one would leave unchanged. 
that no one would leave without a powerful encounter with you, Father God. God, that your spirit would just reign in this place, Father. In your precious name, God, we love you. Amen.